Okay, this morning I want to talk about uh, legalism. Pastor Dave touched on that uh, briefly in his remarks. We could lose our joy in very many ways. I know a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I talked about grumbling and complaining. Well, that's certainly a way, if you're engaging in that all the time and if you're listening to it, that you're going to lose your joy. And another way is legalism. My text this morning is we're working our way through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, is chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So that's our text. Let's read it. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to go through this verse by verse. If you have your Bibles open or your phone, uh, you can follow along. Verse one, rejoice in the Lord. At least 14 times in this letter, Paul says joy or rejoice. So he again reiterates that he wants to keep driving that home. That's the kind of life you want to live, a life of joy. He doesn't want them to lose their joy. And he knows legalism is a big kill joy. So at the end of verse one, he, he mentions, I don't mind writing this to you about joy because I don't want you to lose yours. In fact, it's a safeguard for you. I think he mentions several safeguards for maintaining your joy in this passage. And the first is to resist legalism. Resist legalism. Verses two through six. It perverts Christianity. It steals your joy. It divides families and churches. Here's a simple definition of legalism, substituting rules for relationship. And it's a subtle shift of focus from what God's done for you to what you have to do for God. Now, obedience is a good thing. It's a biblical thing, but it's what is our focus on with legalism. The onus and initiative is always on you to try to put yourself in a position with God. Rather than just saying, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me. 
I want to obey you and serve you. And so Paul is dealing with a group of people called the Judaizers here. The first Christians were Jews. And even some Pharisees got saved, like Paul, for instance. So they became Christians and they taught that to be saved, you need Christ, certainly. But you also need to keep the Jewish laws to be saved, like circumcision and the Sabbath and dietary laws. So you could boil it down to Christ plus works equals salvation. Now, the Apostle Paul and his companions traveled the Mediterranean world, planting churches and teaching about Christ. And these Judaizers would follow behind Paul whenever he left and they would teach these new converts. You need to keep the Jewish laws. It was happening here at Corinth and Colossae. And Paul got really mad at them. They were a real pain in the neck for him. And so he uses three interesting terms about them here in verse two. Dogs. We think are cuddly pets. But in the New Testament times, dogs were scavengers that usually traveled in packs and would sometimes even attack people. In fact, the Jews had a name for Gentiles. They called them dogs. But here Paul is saying the Gentiles aren't the real dogs. It's these so-called Jewish Christians that are the real dogs. He calls them evildoers. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. They think they're doing a good thing. They think they're doing God a favor when they're doing just the opposite. They're doing more harm than good. And then he calls them mutilators. Strong term. And I think Paul is doing a pun here in the Greek, but we lose it in the English because the words are so different. Circumcision and mutilators. But in the Greek, circumcision is peritinamen. And mutilators is catatimonin. So they're so similar. So Paul's doing a twist on that word for circumcision. Pagan peoples would often emasculate themselves as a way to appease their gods. And another place, Paul writes, these guys like to cut so much. I wish they would circumcise themselves. And while they're doing it, the knife would slip. He actually says that. In Galatians 5, 2, he says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So in another place, Galatia, these Judaizers were there. So Paul is very clear here. He's saying circumcision and really keeping laws of the Jewish religion as a Christian will do you no good at all. There's no spiritual benefit. There's no value in making you holy with God. Next, Paul contrasts those three names that he called the Judaizers with three characteristics of the true circumcision. They're there in verse three. Worship by the spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. True spirituality, not not fleshly, not by our works or our deeds. And I want to come back and circle back to those three at the end of my message today. But if I were to summarize those three things that Paul said in verse three with one short phrase, I would say it's living by grace. Living by grace is what produces joy in your life. In fact, grace and joy are the same root Greek word, charis, kara, defined 
unmerited favor. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. It's a secret of joy. Living by grace gives you joy. If you're trying to live legalistically as a Christian, that, uh, a red flag should be, I'm not having any joy. Why is that? And Paul uses himself as an example next. For Paul was Mr. Legalism before he became Mr. Grace. In fact, he says here, I'm a much better legalist than you guys could ever hope to be. And then he tells him, here's what legalism looks like. This was my life before. Rituals. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. You admire Abraham. Well, he was circumcised when he was 99 years old. And his firstborn Ishmael was 13. But I was circumcised when I was eight days old. The earliest possible time. I think about rituals in the church. We all have it. All churches have them. I mean, baptism and uh, communion and many other things. And they're okay. They're, they're good things in themselves. But they're not meant to give us status with God or, or to save us. Right. And that's what rituals people think. If I just do these rituals, God will accept me. God will love me. I'll be in a good place with God. Then he mentions race next of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul was, went beyond circumcision because even Gentiles got circumcised when they converted to Judaism. So he talks about his being a part of the chosen people of God, the covenant people, the Jews who were picked out from all the peoples of the earth to have a special relationship with God. He says, I'm a part of that group. In fact, I'm a part of an elite tribe of that group of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. You see, there were 12 Jewish tribes, but with the Assyrian captivity, 10 of them were taken away to Assyria into captivity and they never returned in mass that they intermarried with other groups. And, and that part of the Jewish people was lost to history. Only two tribes remain true, Judah and Benjamin. That continued really to this day. He's a part of that group. And in fact, from the tribe of Benjamin came Israel's first king, whose name was Saul. The Apostle Paul was named after him. And of course, God changed his name to Paul later. Now, some people as Christians even think of race before Christ is what's most important in their life. For me, being a Christian, that's my identity. That's that's who I truly am. Then he mentions religion, Hebrew of Hebrews. And he, by that, he means he spoke Hebrew. That was his native tongue. By this time of this writing, the Greek culture and the Greek language had swept the whole world, the known world then in that particular place where the Bible was written. People spoke Greek. They participated in the Greek culture, and the Hebrew language was pretty much lost. But Paul said, there's a group of us that we continue to speak Hebrew and write Hebrew. We know Greek, but we also keep the religion that, that was given by Moses and delivered by him on Mount Sinai. We keep that. So what is religion? Religion is man's attempt to approach God and to get to God, whereas Christianity is about a relationship. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to find that there's all these different religions there and different denominations within Christianity. It's going to be we're all believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Elitism, he mentions next. 
He calls himself a Pharisee. So he's not just a Hebrew, not even just from the tribe of Benjamin, an elite tribe. He was a Pharisee trained by Gamaliel, the leading teacher and scribe and rabbi of Israel. In Acts 22, 3, he mentions Gamaliel. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are here today. There were never more than 6,000 Pharisees at any one particular time. To become a Pharisee, you had to memorize the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You had to memorize it, every word, just to be in the club. They were called the pious ones and the separated ones. But not only did they memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, plus they knew the rest of it very well. They also worked with something called the tradition of the elders. This was a body of literature that was developed over time. Think of it as like commentaries on the Old Testament that religious rabbis would write these commentaries. Well, they studied those and memorized and knew those things as well. I think about churches that we can have our spoken written rules and our unspoken ones, but they rarely give life and certainly don't give joy. And then finally, Paul talks about his reputation as for zeal, persecuting the church and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So Paul would say, I'm not only a Pharisee, but I'm a zealous Pharisee. In fact, I was so zealous, I killed the Christians and his term there persecuted is in the present tense, meaning it's currently on his mind. He was thinking about it right up to that moment. He, he was there when Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, was killed and he had others killed. And it was something that I think haunted him a little bit, still haunted by those memories. And he also says, I kept the law, the ceremonial law flawlessly. And legalistic people, they're looked up to. They're thought of as so religious, so spiritual. They know so much. And then what happens to that person is they become proud. And I think of an example of that is the Pharisee who went to the temple to pray. And remember, the tax collector was in there, too. And the tax collector wouldn't so much as look up to heaven. But the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. And he lists all the things that are wrong with him and lists all the things that are right about himself. It makes you proud. It steals your joy. So resist it. Reject it. Stay away from it. A second safeguard he mentions in verses 7 through 9. Think through your activities. Evaluate your life. We look for joy in all the wrong places. If we were to compare religion with relationship with Christ, there'd be no comparison. So Paul had just finished describing the life of a legalist. In 7 through 9, he describes the life of a Christian. And he uses accounting terms, interestingly enough. He, he has a profit and loss statement. Profit is plural there. And loss is singular. So he's saying there, to become a Christian and to have all the things of the Christian life, it's so much. You gain so much and your losses are so minimal by comparison. And the word loss is confiscated. Those things get repossessed. 
Christ takes them away and he replaces it with things that are much better. Paul here recoils at his past life as a legalist. And he uses the term rubbish. It it sounds like a British guy who's describing his trash. It's actually a much harsher term. It it means manure or dung or excrement. That's what he said. That was my life before Christ and outside of Christ. He's very critical of the legalistic life. Paul is saying here, keep your priorities in order. Know what's really important and live that out. Think profits and losses. As you evaluate your life, think through your life and your activities. Are they bringing me joy? Are they bringing me closer to Christ? Or are they stressing me out? Are they pulling me away from God? I I can think of the time, just a personal example, when our... Boys, they started off doing soccer young and, and they got on traveling teams and we were traveling all over the place. And I, I, by the time they were in high school, it was getting tiring. You know, it was getting to be a strain and a stress. All this extra traveling, plus school, sports and that. And I think, is this really benefiting us? Is it benefiting them? A lot of things can pull you away from Christ, pull you away from church and Sunday school and, and youth group. Jesus said this in Luke twelve fifteen. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, there are always trade offs in life. You can't do everything. So I need to give up some of the OK stuff for the really great stuff. You've never had it so good as a Christian. When I became a Christian, I gave up manure for Christ. I gave up guilt for a good conscience. I gave up worry for answered prayer. I gave up no purpose for real purpose. I I, I gave up hell for heaven. Missionary Jim Elliott has this famous line. You really have to think through it. It's really profound. But he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. Think about that. Here's a third safeguard. Fulfill your purpose. Verses 10 and 11. Lasting joy comes from knowing Christ better and better. That's life's goal. The word Paul uses here for know, gnosko, means personal experience. It, It doesn't mean attaining intellectual knowledge and information. Genesis 4.1 in the King James Version reads, And Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. That's the kind of knowing it is. Personal, close, intimate relationship. Not just more facts and information. It's not spitting out creeds and dogmas. It's relationship. I know Kathy so much better after 38 years of marriage than I did when we were dating. It's that. It's an ongoing knowing Someone knowing Christ. So Paul says not only does he want to keep knowing Christ more and more intimately and better. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He's not saying I just want to know about that event, that historical event. And it really did happen. Jesus rose from the dead. But I want to experience that as an ongoing reality in my life. And Paul expresses that well in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, where he writes, And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power 
is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying that same power that raised Jesus from the dead that God exerted, that's in you. You can live every day that resurrection power of Christ. In fact, every day is Easter, not just last Sunday. He wants to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Whenever I read that phrase and I go through, if I'm reading through Philippians, I think back to my friend Chuck Shaheen. He loved Philippians. He loved chapter three and he loved that verse. And he told us a little group once that I've been praying for a long time that I would know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings be made conformable unto his death. He told us that. And it was probably a few months later that he got leukemia. And a few months later, he died. And so it's hard for me to not think of Chuck Shaheen anytime I read, hear that phrase, becoming like him in his death, laying down my life daily, taking up my cross and following him. And if, even if it means my actual death, I just want to know Christ and follow him. I want to know him better and better. That's my purpose, Paul says. That's my reason for living. So to you, I say, don't ever stop growing. The Christian life isn't just about getting saved and then going to heaven someday. It's experiencing him more and more each and every day, which is our church mission statement. More joy. How do I keep my joy? How do I maintain it? I want to circle back to verse three. Paul mentions three things there by way of application. How do I keep my joy? First thing is abide. He, called, he says, worship by the Spirit. Spending time with Him, just thanking Him, just praising Him. And we did that this morning. We could do that corporately and singing. And man, that gives you joy. And you can do it alone. Just worshiping Him, thanking Him, blessing Him, praising Him. That gives you joy. Spending time with Him in the Word. Opening up God's Word. Letting Him speak to you. That's the primary way that He speaks to you. That's how you're going to get to know Him better and better. Spend time in His Word. If you spend time in His Word on Sunday morning, you look up there and read the text I'm reading, and that's it for you for the week, you're not going to know Him very well. Every day, just spending time with him like you would anyone that you're getting to know better. Spending time. What does he love? What does he value? What does he think? What pleases him? What displeases him? Second thing would be to pray. Your, as your prayer life develops, as you boast about and glory in Christ Jesus, spending time with him, communicating with him. Any good relationship requires constant communication. You stay in touch. You know what that person's thinking and feeling right up to the moment. Well, that's the way it is with developing our relationship with God. Much prayer, much joy, little prayer, little joy. Jesus said in John 16, 24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So I'm. Praying and boasting to God and to others how great he is. And then the third thing I would say would be trust. Trusting him no matter what. I put no confidence in my flesh. I don't put confidence in my human abilities. Before we're saved, that's all we have is our human abilities. But in Christ, I have his righteousness. I have all that belongs to him is mine. 
I have the Holy Spirit within. So as Paul is writing this, remember where he is. He's in jail. And he's saying, guys, my greatest desire, my number one goal in life is to know Christ better. It isn't even to be free, to get out of jail. You know what? I think if I was sitting there, I would say, man, I really want to get out of jail. I want to come and see you. I want that more than everything. Then I can really serve God. But Paul doesn't think that way. He, he thinks even in jail, I can know Christ better, even sitting here. And if you aren't experiencing that joy, real joy in your Christian life, could it be that maybe you're too religious or legalistic? It won't give you joy. Or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You've been trusting in yourself in some way. I'm a good person. I do really good things. I'm nice to people. I go to church. Yeah, I sing on the praise team. Whatever it is, I put money on the offering plate. See, all those things just works. But it, it's being in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again? Do you know Jesus? If you'll bow your heads, I just want to close with prayer and ask that question again. And if you need to respond, would like to respond that I don't know if I know Jesus as my personal savior. If I have that a true relationship, I think I'm a good person. I think I'm religious. But are you saved? Do you know Christ? You just flip up your hand this morning. I'd like to pray for you. And if you know him, you don't need to. But if you do this morning, just stick up your hand. I want to pray for you. Lord, we do want to know you better and better. We who are believers, who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name given in heaven and earth by which people must be saved than the name of Jesus. So we honor you. We glory in you today. Father, we worship you by the Spirit. Thank you for your presence with us. And hear our prayer that we want more of you. We want to know you better. We want to move and flow in what you're doing out there in the world. We want to represent you well. So, Lord, use us more and more, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We have so many blessings. God has blessed us. I know you could think of many this morning. We just love this next song. There's some great phrases in this song. Who we were and who we are now. We just want to thank God for his, his love this morning.
to the gym uh, for a covered dish lunch down there. And then there was something from this song I just want to share briefly as we leave. Uh, the first line of that song says, I was blind, now I'm living in color. And I could testify to that. The morning I was born again was July 31st, 1977 at the Canton Baptist Temple. And I remember walking outside the door and the sky was so blue and the, uh, the leaves on the trees were so green. And I thought to myself, it's like I had never seen these colors before, such blue and such green. It's like I had been wearing blinders and I was blind to it. Knowing Jesus Christ well, changes your life for the better. So many blessings, so few losses. It's incomparable. Lord, thank you for your presence with us and the joy that you give. Because you loved us so much, you sent your son. Thank you that we could know him better and let us walk with him. Help us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.